I am Plant on the Line in Vancouver, British Columbia at thecommentary.ca. Paula Ferrante's uh, debut collection of short stories is described as a genre-bending, merging horror, fairy tales, pop culture, and sci-fi. It's called Her Body Among Animals. Women are central characters, and the boundaries placed on their bodies is put into focus throughout the book as she illustrates through her characters the complexity of living in a world among animals. I'll ask Ms. Ferranti, who joined me last month, about the toxic masculinity she addresses and names in her stories. We'll also talk about the setting of a couple of her stories and the animals that uh, mean a lot, that stand in for people at times. Paola Ferranti is a writer living with depression. Her debut poetry collection, What to Wear When Surviving a Lion Attack, was shortlisted for the Gerald Lampert Memorial Prize. She's appeared in several publications, including North American Review, Prism International, and Best Canadian Poetry 2021, among many others. Visit paulaferranti.com for more information. This new book is published by Book Hug Press. She joined me from Toronto. Please uh, welcome to the Plant Online program, Paula Ferranti. Ms. Ferranti, good morning. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for joining us. Um, the, the title of the book, let's begin there, because I, I um, found it just fascinating, and I've been thinking about it ever since I started the book, Her Body Among Animals. Um, it, 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 it's such a great title. What does it mean to you? I mean, did, did, did you have to come to it? Uh, did it come easily, say, or, or, or did it take some time as you were putting the collection together to, to uh, settle on this? Um, yeah, so when I was writing this collection, um, I, was, I was going to my writer's group and, you know, showing them story after story, and they're like, oh, there's an animal in this one. Mm, there's an animal in this one, too. Oh, you're using animal imagery again. <laughs> so I figured, if you can't beat them, join them. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, well, there's going to be animals. And then, I mean, I think it, it was really about thinking about the themes, the theme of, the themes of the collection, one of which was um, you know, how women are constantly having these boundaries placed on their bodies and being challenged by that. And they're living in this world, like, among animals, where it has this double meaning, where, yeah. yes, there is this connection to the natural world, but it's also sort of the the darker side of the animal nature, which they're coming up against when they're looking at toxic masculinity and when they're coming up against those things. So, you know, I mean... In the first story in the collection, when Fox is dielectric, um, there's a reason that the sentient sex robot Harmony and um, the unhappy wife of the creator boyfriend start watching the Discovery Channel and like looking at like foxes and how they they tend to care for each other's young. And Harmony thinking, well, I, I can have this connection with another um, woman because there is that lovely side of nature where they're looking to it as this this way how things could be. And should be so. It's very intertwined with also what's happening to them as as bodies. Harmony again, sort of just being used by her creator, and you know Sophie, the wife who's who's trying to have a baby but is not really sure she wants to have it with this man. Yeah, I'll ask you about the story in just a sec. But but uh, two animals for uh, for a moment. Um, they, they do teach us a lot, and when you use them in the book, even uh, when you anthrop I can't pronounce the word anthropomorphism. Um, yeah. or they stand in for people, um, they become fascinating for the reader. And um, uh, one would think that you, you'd have to you know, make a giant leap in terms of imagining um, the animal as a person or as a woman in, in, in some cases. Um, I, I guess the readers just favor them, if you will. 
They, they can't look away. Yes. I mean, they're very concrete, and it's, it's, for me, it was kind of easy to sort of use them to, to, to look at, at things from sort of this, like, slant-wise perspective. Um, so, for example, there's the story, The Underside of a Wing, where mm. an, a, a, a grad student living with depression um, feels the weight of this as a literal albatross around her neck. And an albatross is a huge bird. It's got, like, a wingspan of nine meters. Yeah. Um, so not a comfortable thing to be carrying around. And I think animals, like, I mean, obviously, you know, Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner, there's definitely, like, an extended animal metaphor all through that, which I'm, you know, paying homage to, let's say, in that story. But I think animals allow us to sort of see these metaphorical characteristics in ourselves. So, um, again, the, the first story I mentioned, when fox dialectic, there's, there's talk about defensive thanatosis, where um, certain animals play dead when a predator comes around. Mm. And the wife's like, I really don't want to be with you right now, so leave me alone. Yeah, yeah and it... it um they teach us so much, obviously. You mentioned um, the, the underside of a wing, which is the second story in the collection. Um, I quite like that one because um, it's set here in Vancouver. Mm-hmm. Um, did you spend a lot of time here in, in this part of the country? Um, so I have a very sad story about Vancouver for myself. Um, I actually got into graduate school at SFU uh, uh-huh. for clinical psychology, and I went and uh I did not last very long. I was dealing with my own battles with depression at the time. So the underside of a wing um, was my take on on dropping out of grad school. I I tried to write it as a realistic Uh short story, um, but I just couldn't. It was was too painful. Um, But I I distinctly, there's, there's a scene in that story where the woman is sitting in her advisor's office and um, that is based on my life. I was sitting in my advisor's office crying, um, and the advisor was saying, you know what, um, I'm so sorry that's happening to you, but um, we don't have that kind of relationship. So, you know, student services is over there. Wow. You need to talk to somebody else. Um, so that was kind of the impetus for, for setting this in Vancouver, um, because it, it was very beautiful. Um, but, again, there's that feeling of isolation where you're kind of looking at things from this, this bird's eye view, at least there was for me, and especially being on top of the mountain. At SFU, you're so high up in yeah. the fog, you know, you look at your hand in front of your face and you can't even see your hand. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I must say, I, I, I've lived here my whole life, um, and that feeling of isolation uh, is something that um, I, I understood um, yeah. I, I've probably seen it for myself and, and just for forgotten it, but I, 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 um, I, I, I really, um, I really felt what, what she was feeling in that story. I, I, it is, um, you're right. It is a beautiful place, but it, it, it's a hell of a place to live sometimes and, and not a, in a good way, you know, that, that was definitely, um, my, my experience, my very short experience yeah. in Vancouver. Yeah. Um, Hitchcock um, comes into focus in that story as well, not just himself, but his work. Um, was that important for you to say something about him in that story? Um, yeah. yeah, so when I was a kid growing up, I watched all of Hitchcock's movies. I, like, I love thrillers and horror. Um, and 
I was sort of disappointed to learn how terribly he treated his actresses, um, mm. in particular Tippi Hedren. I yeah. mean, there's, you know, horrible records of how he was incredibly abusive towards her during shooting. And when I found out the detail about her, uh, you know, that scene where all the birds are attacking her, yeah. um, like that they were real birds, and she was absolutely terrified. And I think she didn't have to stop for a little bit after that because she's just like, I'm not going back to set. Um, so I, it was important for me to sort of have that in this collection because even though that story isn't, um, the underside of a wing isn't particularly about um, toxic masculinity, it mm-hmm. is about living as a woman with with a mental health like disability, um, like living as a woman with depression and sort of how women are kind of gaslit um, sometimes, yeah. especially when they are in very um, high-functioning roles, like going into grad school, like the student in the story and like myself, where people aren't expecting you to, to be dealing with things like this. And you're, you're sort of forced to put on this facade and keep, you know, the huge albatross around your neck under wraps somehow. Um, and I think for me, bringing in Tippi Hedren um, sort of treatment by Hitchcock and, you know, her fear and her terror and what happened to her because of that experience was just sort of a nice parallel to, to explore that theme. Yeah. What, what's your relationship to the films now? Oh, I haven't watched them in a very long time. Um, I would say that they are definitely films that um, I appreciate for the impact they had on like like the legacy they had on mm-hmm. film. Yeah. Um, essentially, like, you know, I mean, Psycho, the, what was done there was, you know, mirrored in so many horror movies after. And, like, but um, I wouldn't, I don't think I would be in love with them anymore <laughs> just knowing what I know about how they were made and how the people who were there on set were treated. Um, but, I mean, you know, there, there is, there is that idea that, like, you know, Psycho has, has influenced all these other huge major horror films, and there's a lot of horror in her body among animals as yeah. well. Uh, more of a supernatural, like, slash Stephen King-y yeah, <laughs> takes. Yeah. Um, like, there's um, a story where a woman is haunted by poltergeist because she's experiencing postpartum anxiety, which, again, mm. is very personal to me. My mother experienced that when I was pregnant with my son. I was terrified that was going to happen to me as well. Um, you know, and then later on in The Silent Grave of Birds, which is actually from a young man's point of view, he's haunted by the guilt of knowing he bullied this boy and um, he's kept silent about a sexual assault perpetrated by his brother and that guilt comes out in some really, really creepy dolls who are in a grave they find on the beach that they frequent. Yeah, that, um, that's one of yeah. the longer stories in the book, which is which is a... Um, um one that I, um, uh, the horror is not, not a genre that I read in, but I, I found myself just uh, utterly compelled um, by it. And, I, and uh, I don't know if I'm a fan now of horror, but I certainly <laughs> am a fan of this book because it, just the way that you, you plot it. Um, and uh, in, in preparing for an interview, I, I, um, I found out that, that there is a strong feminist tradition in the horror genre. Is that right? Yes, there is. I mean, if we go back to like like 
before sort of the, the slasher tropes were codified, like looking at something like Black Christmas, like the 1970s version, uh-huh. um, the, you know, it's not the, the virgin who lives to the end. It is a, a woman who is strong and resilient, and she is planning on having an abortion. And there's a whole scene where she discusses that with her boyfriend. Um, he's trying to convince her not to, and she's like, mm, but there's other things I want to do with my life. Um, so there's this this feminist streak that goes through horror. And, I mean, if we look at modern horror, like I'm thinking of like The Babadook, um, which is one of my, my favorite films about motherhood, uh, where this, this single mother has a child who is um, acting up at school and having all sorts of behavior problems. And then, you know, he uh, finds this book and they're haunted by this creature and it's really just about being, I think, stuck with your child in this house uh-huh. and not knowing what to do. And I think um, that's influenced this book a lot. I mean, again, I, I mentioned the story about, like, you know, postpartum anxiety being a poltergeist haunting. Um, I think there is a real feminist bent to being able to do that. And I think it's because um, women, you know, they, they've been, there's sort of that othering of women's experience and being able to talk about something through that lens of deep fear is very cathartic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah the, um, uh, I'm a guy, um, and as I was reading the book, I couldn't help but think um, how insidious toxic masculinity is um, in our society. And um, I'm curious to know about, in terms of, of taking it on, if you will, or, or writing about it as you do in the collection, um, is there something that you can do in fiction that you can't do in, an, say, another form of writing, maybe? Um, so I've, I think fiction, I've, I've done some similar things with poetry. Um, but what I could say is I would never do this with nonfiction. Um, I think with fiction... When I can talk about toxic masculinity, like there's a story in there where an abusive partner turns into a dragon. And I think it's very hard for a reader to stay with you as an author if you're really talking about really difficult, hard truths. Um, but speculative fiction sort of puts that one degree of removal of distance for the reader so that they can be taken in by this, this world of like, oh, now he's a dragon. Now he's a man. Now, there's lizard men stories happening in urban legends. So I think it allows you, uh, speculative fiction in particular, allows you the freedom to sort of explore really uncomfortable subjects, but also keep your reader with you to the end and maybe with staying with you longer than they would if it was in a realist form. Yeah, I mean, I, I certainly feel that when uh, having you know read a, a few stories in the collection, um, the, um, uh, I, I wasn't scared as much reading the, the book, um, um, but I felt disappointed a lot, I guess, in, in men, um, and, and the guys around me. I guess, you know, in terms of toxic masculinity, a lot of people that I encounter, um, I, I guess it, it, it's sort of a shorthand that they can't get rid of, if you will, and, and... They they have to rely on it to comport themselves, and I I I, I, I keep thinking as I, as I was reading the book and and preparing for a chat today, um, why it persists and and how do we get away from it? I, 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 just, I, 
these are the things I've, I've come away with having yeah. read some of the book. And then I just, I, I, I uh, as a guy, I don't know what to do. I mean, I'm not going to pretend I've got that answer, but I certainly <laughs> hope um, as my son grows up, yeah. I, I figure out something. Um, I will say, though, um, I mean, I, you know, in my day job, I work as a high school teacher, and um, I've kind of specialized in behavior programs, and I've seen a lot of young men, um, and I know that the the toxic behavior tends to come out when they are angry, and what that is really about is they are afraid, and they are sad, and they don't know how to say it, mm. um, and so that's one side of the equation. I mean, the silent grief of birds, again, the protagonist is a young man, um, and it's, it's the only male protagonist in the book. Um, and that was a very conscious choice. I really wanted to look at it from from a boy's perspective, from a young man's perspective, where he's surrounded by this, this group of, of toxic friends and sort of like, how do you get out of that? How do you like sort of say, hey, you know, this isn't for me. I don't want to be this person. Um, and that's very difficult as a teenager. Um, you know, I mean, he's getting haunted, so he's got a little bit more motivation. Maybe. Yeah. Um, I mean, I wouldn't really want to come upon creepy dolls myself. Um, <laughs> but I think there's that, and I think there's also a lack of of positive models of, of how to be as a man. Um, and I think that's maybe where we need to, to go as a society. And, that, and the answer is not in this book, um, but I'm really hoping, uh, you know, that there are other figures, male figures out there who are not these toxic perpetrators and that our young men are, are, are looking at them saying, like, this is a guy I could want to be. That's a, the gift of this book, is it's made me think about other things as I was reading it. Um, things that, that I can possibly change, perhaps. Um, things where I fall short at. <laughs> um but but it, it, I, I guess that's what fiction does at its best, doesn't it? It 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 it, um, it, it shines this light or holds up this mirror that um, uh, I, I guess changes one's behavior beyond the reading a book, right? And 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 once we put down the book, we we, we uh, take from it what we need, I guess. I mean, yeah, I think I, I had a wonderful professor in university who said, "You don't read the book; the book reads you." Mm. And um, I think that's very true. I, mean, I think in the case of her body among animals, it's a bit of a funhouse mirror because I, I just feel like <laughs> girls aren't growing mermaid tails. Yeah. People aren't turning into dragons. You yeah. know? It, it made me think, though, that women do have to put up with a lot. And, and um, looking at our society, our culture as it is, um, I don't know. Did, did, are, are you hopeful that things will change for the better? Yes, I am. Um, I think as a writer, as a mother, as a teacher, as a person, um, I need to hold on to that. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, it, I was very conscious, again, in writing this book that the stories would not be grim, um, mm. that the reader could take some hope from them at the end. Um, whether that's sort of like, you know, our, our sentient sex robot revenge on her creator, which yeah. is of a, a fiery nature, yeah. <laughs> or, um, you know, a young man deciding that um, he's going to clean up the beach and maybe give these plastic dolls of Second Life as recycled toys <laughs> and do the right thing, more importantly, in, in you know, disclosing 
um, and, and asking the girl who was sexually assaulted what she would like done and how he could help in this matter, knowing knowing what happened. Um, I think if we can, I think what the whole idea is to look at these mistakes in the patterns and the structures of the past and to move forward. So, I mean, the last story in the collection, Among Chameleons and Other Ghosts, um, deals with a young couple going on a road trip through Texas as they prepare to launch onto Mars and uh, are colonizing that. Yeah. Um, and the whole idea of that story is that the the girl is trying to get out of these patterns of really, really bad relationships um, and really sort of understand who she is and not just be a shadow of herself in a relationship because that's what she's done all her, her life. And she's trying to look at that pattern and, you know, the the boy she's with um, is, you know, he's actually a, a nice guy, a bit naive and not really understanding what's going on. But at the end of it, they they are still together because they've sort of agreed that they're going to, like, not go to Mars. They're not trying to, like, just get out of here. They are going to try to deal with the mistakes of the past that have happened. And I think that's the most important takeaway from this book, that if we look at what's been going on in the past, we can change it. The other thing that I was thinking about as I was reading um, some of the stories in Her Body Among Animals, um, how, how toxic masculinity is inherently part of the uh, destruction of our, our world today. Um, I, I guess we, we knew that, um, but it's not something that we, we really talk about that connection, is it? I don't think so, and I think it's it's a connection that um, I made actually quite late into writing this book. Um, I think it wasn't until I wrote The Silent Grave of Birds, which I think was the last thing I wrote for this collection, um, that I was really like, oh, this is what's happening. And I think um, really the mechanism on which that hinges is the entitlement. Um, mm. So if we, if, you know, in terms of toxic masculinity, there is a sense of entitlement to women's bodies, to the earth to nature, to do what you want when you want to do it. So, I mean, in The Silent Grave of Birds, the older brother perpetrates a sexual assault. The boys mercilessly bully this other young man um, to the point where he almost dies. <laughs> um, and it is... So, and then there's also these these remnants of their ecological destruction all the way around, like it's just the carelessness with which they treat the beach, which is this natural habitat. Um, but there's a line at the beginning that, like, talks about the Doritos bags they leave as like their own little flags mm. claiming, staking their claim on this land. And it's that sort of entitlement that they can just take things over and destroy them that I think links that toxic masculinity to um, to environmental destruction. Yeah, and that's something that we shouldn't forget. I mean, we, we do know that, um, but we forget it all the time, don't we? Yeah, and I think it's it, this is something we need to to make explicit. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Um, the first line in your bio says that you are a writer living with depression. I, I've thought about that a lot um, since I, I first picked up the book and read it uh, for a while now, several weeks now. Um, I, I like seeing it because I, I know it'll start a conversation even just in the heads of, of, of someone who'll see it. Um, are people talking to you about that? Um. Yeah, I mean, when I, I've done a, quite a few panels and some interviews, and um, I, I talk a lot about, 
either why I have that line or the story, the underside of a wing, um, and why I sort of, I'm very open about how that, that story is my own experience. And um, it's because, you know, I grew up in a very Italian family um, where talking about mental health was, was not something you could do. Um, I, I distinctly remember a Christmas Eve dinner where my cousin, who, who has her own mental health issues, was telling us about them. And um, my my aunt just shut down and was like, we don't talk about that. Don't you dare. Why are you saying those things? And it was sort of this, like, culture of shame and secrecy. And, you know, I mean, that has gotten a lot better. I mean, it, even the underside of a wing, that was my experience in the early 2000s going to grad school late 2000s actually um but i think people still need to hear it's okay to not be okay yeah um and it's you know it's something that is better out in the open um and also i wanted people to know that because i'm writing stories like the underside of a wig um like uh everyday horror show which is the story about postpartum anxiety that i i have been through that So how does how do you view um, depression in relation to your work as a writer? I mean, um, uh, does does it um, does it affect either? Say, I mean, are you able to write um, through a bout of depression, uh, or is a bout of depression say uh, eased or, or even challenged a great deal by? Uh, pardon me, is writing challenged by? Um, Suffering from depression. Um, I've 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 had it both ways. Yeah. I mean, I'm very fortunate now. I'm, you know, I've got treatment and you know, like, have stabilized. Um, and because I've I've gotten what I needed. Um, but I have had experiences where I absolutely couldn't focus. Um, so writing was just happening. Mm-hmm. Um, I've also had it where, um, if if I'm not at that level where I would call like like level 10 which is you know my, my rock bottom um, I've had it where it, writing is, is preventative mm-hmm. for me yeah. um, where it helps me sort of have focus and have something that I love and something that I feel is important um, so writing these stories especially when they're, when they're writing about experiences like that um can be cathartic. It can also be very, very challenging. Um, writing the underside of a wing was actually the hardest story mm-hmm. around this collection, um, just because every time I I went to do it, um, I was I was back there at one of my worst times, and it just it was painful to revisit it. Um, so it can be writing can be both um, preventative and wonderful and sort of therapeutic. But it can also be frustrating and painful when it's. I, I feel like I'm not performing my best because I am depressed. Mm-hmm. Um, did you always want to write? Say, growing up, was that something you wanted to do? Oh yeah, um, for a million years. I mean, I think I was eight, and I think my mother was reading me the Chronicles of Narnia. Um, and then I just got frustrated with her trying to read to me on the stairs at night one chapter at a time. I was like, no, 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 i got to take this book. i got to finish it. <laughs> um, and then I was like, well, how do these books come into being? Oh, authors, 
I want to do that. Mm. <laughs> and that was it. I, you know, when I was 12, I wrote my first novel, quote unquote, like 90 pages of some ghost story. Um, yeah, but I've, and, and when I was 14, I sent this experimental piece to um, Stoddart Publishing, and I remember getting a personal rejection letter, and I was thrilled. I kept that in my drawer forever. So, yeah, I could pretty much say I've always wanted to be a writer. Um, the, the, uh, the first story in the book, which you, you, you've alluded to already, When Foxes Die Electric, I, I, I'm um, resisting um, some questions I have about it because I, I um, uh, enjoyed the story and enjoyed parts of it that I didn't think I would enjoy. Um, uh, wondering how to couch this without giving it away. Um, <laughs> the um, the feelings I had about it, especially at the end, um, I, I I guess I enjoyed um, how spectacularly it ends, um, and I was surprised at that. Does that make sense? I, I, I'm. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, I, I guess. I guess that's part of the genre of horror, isn't it? That 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 we're we're horrified essentially by how we react to something we see or read, right? Yes, definitely. It usually plays on our deepest, darkest fears. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so when you when you you're crafting a story as you do, because it is beautifully plotted, um, and and the characters literally come alive. Um, is that fun? Is that the 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 the, the funnest that it went in your process of writing? Oh, um, yes, but not until I get a third of the way through. Mm-hmm. So for me, it seems to be that until I nail down the first third of a piece, um, whether it's a short story. Or in, uh, I'm working on a novel now, so that that's you know taking a lot longer. But it has to be this like first third. I have to get it where it's absolutely almost done, almost in its final draft. Um, in terms of like how it sounds, um, how the characters are working, and then then I feel like it's fun. Then I'm like, oh, I, I've created this world. I get to play in it now. And I sort of usually have an idea of how it's going to end. Um, when Fo- in, when Fox is dialectic, I definitely had an idea of where it was going to end. I didn't know exactly how I was going to get there, but yeah. I knew that was the ending scene um, when I started it. And um, it, it's fun after that. It's fun to be in the world that I know is sort of on solid ground because there are so many rules I have to create for myself writing speculative fiction um, that I need I need to really nail those rules down first. This is such a, a tremendous um, a, a achievement uh, for a debut. You, you mentioned that you're mm-hmm. writing a novel now. Um, is it in this genre that, that you, you've uh, say, say written in? Yeah, so it's definitely um, speculative. It is more in the sci-fi uh-huh. borrowing conventions um, than the horror. Although, I mean, there are definitely elements of horror in there. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's, it's got a working title called Completables, and it's set in a future where um, there are biochemical cocktails that can do everything from, you know, easing your anxiety and depression to creating youth to erasing memories that you don't want to keep anymore. And um, sort of the, the intersections of, like, gender and mental health and class that 
come into play in a society where that's happening and where, like, you know, Earth is at its last gasp, um, air quality-wise, and billionaires are, are fleeing to Mars. <laughs> so, you know, this will take off in the last story. That, does, that doesn't sound like science fiction at all. <laughs> Not at all, no. <laughs> um, so, so we've been talking about a, a collection of short stories, and now, and now you're, you're writing a novel. Is is the writing of a novel just say, the same process as writing a short story except longer? Or the, 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 there's, there's something else to it, isn't there? Um, yeah, for me the process is fairly different. Um, I am definitely a pantser when it comes to writing short stories. Um, I am the person who's like, oh, I have this cool concept. Let's talk about a sentient sex robot. Um, and then, you know, I write the first third, mess around with that for a bit, see where it goes. Um, sometimes I have an idea of the ending in that story I did. Other times I don't. And I just kind of get there, get to the ending. <laughs> um so a novel, you got to plan things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you really got to plan things. <laughs> got to plan that plot. Um, so I'm finding it's taken longer, much longer, to to sort of solidify that first third and to really get a sense of like, this is the plot. This is where I'm going. Um, these are the beats. Like you know, you know, you're dealing with subplots and and like secondary characters and what their arc is as well as your major character. Because you know, in a short story, you're basically following your major character. Sometimes the character is, is just one person talking about how they have an albatross around their neck, yeah. right? So there's not a lot of plot that happens. A novel, you know, things things need to happen. <laughs> so it's really figuring out what the events are that are the best representation of what you're really trying to get at thematically. Um, so that takes a little more time. Well, I can't wait to, to read the novel and, and as well as finish this this collection because I've, I've become a fan. Um, thank you. I've kept you longer than I said I would. I th- thank you so much for your time today. Congratulations and continued good luck with the book. It's a tremendous achievement. Thank you so much. So I really appreciate it. The website for more is at paulaferranti.com. The book is called Her Body Among Animals. It's published by Book Hug Press. It's author Paula Ferranti. Join me on the line from Toronto in Vancouver. I'm Joseph Plata.